Driven Mofos, today I'm going to be talking about a touchy subject, but let's talk about mental health and why I think the system is broken and why I think way too many people are using mental health supposedly issues to justify why their life is out of balance and also why the medical system and the mental health system allow this to amplify and normally without a lot of solutions or resolutions. So let's talk about it. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I share mindset, lifestyle, and business hacking tips, tools, and some painful lessons along my journey from growing my businesses and also working with some of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professional athletes. Driven Mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Michael Mojo, founder of Mojo Human Performance Institute, where we focus on business mindset and lifestyle hacking for driven mofos. And the reason why I do these episodes is that most people waste their life and I just don't want you to be one of them. All right, so let's talk about the mental health thing that's going on at the moment. Almost every day I open up my social media and someone is telling me about what anxiety is or they're telling me about what depression is or they're telling me about what OCD is or they're telling me about you know what it's like to have some fucked up issue that they've got because they've either been labeled as something or they've self-labeled themselves or whatever it is. I really wanted to explain why a lot of this stuff I think is just non-effective. That's really what it comes down to is it's non-effective. And I have said for many, many years now, the last five or six years in my events, that labels are there to understand, they are never there to define. So what I mean by that is that labels are there to help us to understand things. So we can label someone as, you know, I label myself as a mental performance coach. Now that's just a label, it doesn't mean anything. It just means that now someone understands something. Now, a lot of the labels that we use in life, whether it be, you know, I've got depression or I've got anxiety or I've got OCD or I have, you know, ADD or ADHD or whatever the labels are, bipolar, schizophrenia, they're all just labels. They don't mean anything. They're just a way of understanding something. Now we label a tree. You know, if I mention I've got multiple trees out the front of my house, most people can get an image in their head and they go, ah, cool. I have some form of understanding around what that looks like. So we use labels to help us to understand things. But what's happening over the years is that we have this idea that labels are defining something. So when someone says, I have ADHD, they then define themselves as that thing. And then what most people do is because they have confirmation biases, which then means that their brain essentially goes out and looks for things to back up what they already believe to be true. So then they go out and they find information. Now they might read a thousand different things on ADHD, but they will pull the information that suits their narrative that proves that what they have is what they believe they have. And so then they'll get on social media and then say, well, ADHD is this thing. And this is what it is. You know, you can't concentrate. I can't focus. You know, I'm sporadic. I can be a bit erratic. I might have energy highs, but I can also feel very alone. And so they post all this shit on their social media trying to explain to people this label that they have labeled themselves as, but maybe also the medical industries labeled themselves as, or the psychology or the psychiatry industry or whatever. But then what they're doing is they're using these confirmation biases to reinforce a pattern of behavior that in most cases doesn't work for them. So the reason why someone goes and gets labeled or diagnosed in ADHD is normally because they have certain patterns of behavior or thought processes or emotional behaviors where these things don't work for them. Maybe they're working all the time and they're finding that they're consistently distracted. So then they go to the doc, the doc sends them to the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist you know, asks a whole bunch of questions and they do some certain testing. And then all of a sudden at the end, you come out and you've got this diagnosis of ADHD. So then from there, now you have a reason and an understanding as to why you do that thing. But that doesn't mean shit, right? It doesn't mean that you know, you're distracted all the time. 
it often means that you can be hyper-focused on things. But here's my criticism of the whole situation around that. And as someone who understands human behavior at a quite in-depth level, if you have a look at how the brain works, the brain essentially works, and I'm gonna use this in the most like primitive way that I can to try to help people to understand. But essentially, if we divide the brain into three parts, and you've probably heard it described in this way before, and I'll explain in more scientific terms, and I'll explain in the easy way. Let's just say that we have these three parts of the brain. The first part of the brain, you've probably heard as the reptilian brain or the crocodile brain. Now, a crocodile, essentially, or a reptile, will bite or snap for two main reasons. One of them is its food. So it's nourishment and survival. And the other thing is that it's afraid or worried. And so if a crocodile sees something moving, it just naturally, in most cases, will snap. And it's because it normally responds with the flight, fight, or freeze response. So it'll want to fight something in order to protect itself. It'll want to run away to protect itself, or it will freeze. Because normally things that don't move don't tend to be alive. So in nature, when something stands still and freezes, it's harder to see. Whereas if you see a, let's say, a lion or a tiger that's moving through grassland, dry grassland, they're very, very hard to see. When I say moving, I mean standing still. But when it starts moving and you see the grass moving, you can start to piece that together. So that's why we tend to have this flight, fight, or freeze response. We want to fight something to keep safe. We want to run away from it to keep safe. Or we want to freeze to keep safe. So a crocodile, at essence, and the least evolved part of the brain, the most primitive part of the brain, we still have that sense of safety and survival. So that's the first part that I want to talk about. Now, the other thing that a crocodile does is it will snap because it needs to eat. And so it's snapping because it wants safety and survival or it wants nourishment. And then the only other thing that it does is it procreates. So that's the most primitive response from almost all living organisms, if not all living organisms. They will move away from things that they perceive are a threat. They'll move towards things that they perceive will provide sustenance, nutrition, and also sex and procreation. So that's a very primitive response. Now, this is important when we're talking about human behavior. And for some weird reason, this stuff gets slipped in most of the stuff that I see online around human behavior, human psychology, mental health, all of that sort of stuff. So we need to think about that most primitive response that humans, or if not all living organisms have. Then as we evolve, and as the brain supposedly evolved, if you look at the theory of evolution, humans develop this other part of the brain, which is called the mammalian brain, where we tend to act more like monkeys. Now, in that part of the brain, we are more emotionally responsive and we tend to run off of our emotions. And part of that part of the brain is trying to fit in. Because if you're a monkey and you're out in the jungle, you need other monkeys around you in order to survive. So one will normally be on lookout. If there's a threat or a predator, then that monkey will start making noise. And then all the other monkeys start making noise and they all either flight, fight, or freeze. So they drop down into that most primitive response of safety and survival. So the other thing that monkeys do is that they nurture. So there's a part of the brain as well, which is focused on nurturing, fitting in, but also they're very responsive emotionally. Now, us as humans, that part of the brain is called the limbic system. Now in that part of the brain, the brain works like a bit of a pendulum. So that pendulum swings back and forward. Now, if we have emotional highs, we tend to have emotional lows afterwards. So anytime that you're hyper elated or hyper active, we are above average. So we're above the average line or the balance line. Now that then leads to burnout or hypoactivity where we end up flat and tired. So what goes up has to come back down. Now, if we think about all of our emotional responses as being a pendulum, so when we get really excited, we will then either burn out or get tired or our energy will be low afterwards. 
because we've had an overconsumption of that energy or an overconsumption or that use of energy. So our brain and our emotional system tends to work that way based on a lot of the principles that I teach, which is also why we get healthcare practitioners and stuff coming to my events like Thrive Time, because very rarely is this stuff explained or even known about or even thought about. And this is some of the most advanced science that is going on now where they're starting to look at things like memories and anti-memories and how the brain balances itself out. That's my criticism if you've been listening to the podcast of the positive thinking movement is that the more you try to be positive, the more you get thrown into negatives as well because it creates peaks and troughs. So people who tend to crave happiness all the time tend to go through these stages of really a lot of depression or unhappiness or these burnt out stages because they're consistently craving this high or this elation. You know, people who tend to want peace the most normally have very unpeaceful relationships where they get used all the time, boundaries get crossed, they let people walk all over them because they're just trying to maintain the peace all the time. Whereas there is a balance point there where you need to stick up for your boundaries, you need to hold people accountable to them. But at the same time, you don't want to be too erratic where you're out of control all the time and you're pushing very heavily into that narcissistic or narcissism side where, you know, all you're trying to do is control everybody because that is also a sign of being out of control. Now, this is why it's so easy for me to read people because a lot of the time what someone expresses, there is part of them that they're suppressing as well. So if someone's a people pleaser on the outside, they're normally not pleasing themselves on the inside because they get walked all over and treated like shit. And I ask this in almost every Thrive Time event. And I say at that event, who in here considers themselves a kind person where they do a lot for others and they put up their hand? And then I catch them out and I go, but not to yourself, right? And they all look at me with these big googly eyes like, oh fuck. Because normally someone who does everything for everybody else externally normally will self-depreciate, punish themselves and has low self-worth on the inside. And so they overvalue people on the outside but undervalue themselves on the inside. And so it creates these vicious cycles for most people. It's that pendulum swing, right? Everything always has to come back into balance. And if you look at any hard science, Everything in nature is trying to stabilize itself or bring itself back into balance. For instance, if you put the air conditioner on and leave the front door open, you might have a room that's trying to get colder, but that temperature is trying to stabilize between the outside air and the inside air. And so the temperature is trying to stabilize itself into its most stable form. Now you can have the same thing with hot and cold water. It does exactly the same thing. You put hot and cold water in and then it turns into the most stable form, which is you know a balance between those two things. Now, everything in nature, whether it's chemistry, in chemistry, the outer electron shells, for those of you who are a bit more scientific, those outer shells are trying to go to their most stable form. Because if not, you end up with volatile atoms or molecules. So we know that if you have a look at hydrogen, which is the first element on the periodic table, it tends to be highly unstable and highly volatile. So someone who has a lot of imbalance mentally is very unstable. Whereas if you go across to the more balanced side of the periodic table in chemistry, you'll see that there's something called the noble gases and the noble gases are stable. They're stable elements. They tend not to be reactive and explosive. Now, if you just even look at those terms, that is exactly the same with human psychology and human behavior. The more imbalanced somebody is, the more unstable and volatile they are, mentally and emotionally. Now, if you go across the other side, the more noble someone is and the more balanced mentally and emotionally and the better understanding someone has about things in life, the more stable they are mentally and emotionally. That's why some people... They can get judged and criticized and they just brush it off and they just keep doing what they're doing. And then you have a whole bunch of other people where someone looks at them the wrong way and they all of a sudden want to get in a punch on or you know they throw something at them because they're highly volatile and highly unstable. So the deepest part of the brain is the reptilian or the crocodile. 
Then you have the monkey brain, which is a pendulum that's swinging back and forward, trying to stabilize our psychology and trying to stabilize our emotions. The more imbalanced we become one way or one side, the more unstable we swing back on the other side. And this is why people go through these vicious cycles a lot of the time, especially when they go on a personal development events, motivation events, all of that stuff, because they get really, really motivated. And then two weeks later, they're all burnt out. They're tired. They beat themselves up. You know, why can't I be motivated all the time? Well, why? Because you can't. You can't be motivated all the time, just like you can't thrash a Formula One car flat out and then not bring it back into the shed and rebuild it. If you have a slow car that just cruises along, those things can do millions of kilometers. They're not super fast. They're not slow, but they're built to last because they're a very stable engine. Whereas when you go and you look at, say, a drag car or a racing car, those cars do a very short period going absolutely flat out and then they need a full rebuild. Now, most people don't think about their life like this, that if you want to have a high adrenaline pump, high intensity type of exercise, you're going to need rest afterwards. If you do the same thing in your own life where you wake up and you fist pump the air, you know, like if you're in sales and you're fist pumping the air and you're getting all jacked up, that's great. You'll be jacked up for a day, two days, three days, but maybe four, five days in, you're going to be burnt out and tired. And then you might be self-depreciating, especially if your expectation is that you can keep at that high level all the time. You just can't. And so a lot of people, their self-depreciation is trying to get them back into balance because they're so out of balance in other areas of their life or in the way that they use their energy. So that's that pendulum. What I've also found is that most people who have a lot of depressive thoughts, a lot of depressive ideas, depression means below average. It means getting depressed. So it means lower than average. So when we have depressed emotions, the counterbalance of that is there's something else that they're comparing themselves to that's above the average line. So when someone has these huge comparatives in life, like I should have more money, life should be easier, you know, I should be happy all the time, I should be motivated all the time, I should be able to work hard, my friends are achieving more than I am, and they create all of these self-comparisons, they are going to be depressed and feel like shit. And so what I've found is that the majority of the mental health and psychology industry and so on, they try to deal with the depression instead of dealing with the fantasies that need to be broken down. And so when you deal with the self-comparisons and the fantasies and the delusions that people have about their life, and you crack those patterns, all of a sudden their emotions start to balance out because they realize that those things don't normally last. They come and they go. Like I don't wake up in the morning and even think about happiness or I don't think about you know this idea of where I should be most of the time because it just makes me feel like shit. I just wake up and I do things that are very purposeful and very intentional that are leading me to a long-term mission and I know if I just put in the work, I'll get there. I can talk about this, you know, if you come to my four-day Thrive Time event, I go into this stuff in detail and show you the tools to stay more balanced and to be more driven long-term by things like your mission, your purpose, your values, and how to understand those things, weave them into your life, set up your week, create the lifestyle balance that works for you, not the bullshit that everyone else tells you that it should be, and so on. So it sets you up to win in life, but it creates more stability, not more volatility by craving these stupid high emotional states all the time and thinking that you should be happy, motivated, life should be easy, you should be comfortable, you know, you should be financially independent, all of those crappy, stupid things that most people think that make them feel like crap. Or they compare themselves to others or people that their own age who have achieved more, which might only be one or 2% of the population, but a lot of people do that, especially in this day and age with Instagram and social media and so on. That's the second part of the brain. That's the monkey part of the brain. Then we have the more evolved part of the brain, which is normally called the prefrontal cortex. That prefrontal cortex sometimes is called the executive center. And it's the outer part of the brain. It's, I guess it's the outer crust, but right at the front. And so it's normally when you see a brain, you actually partially see part of that part of the brain, which is the executive center or the prefrontal cortex. 
So that part of the brain is the most evolved part of the brain. And what it does is that part of the brain essentially allows us to govern our emotional states. So someone who is highly intelligent goes, if I go out and I work really, really hard and I blow my cash on the weekend, then I'm going to have to work really, really hard again. And then I'll probably feel like shit and then blow my cash again. That's not that intelligent. So maybe what I'll do is I'll just put some money aside and I'll have a little bit to spend, but then the most of it I'll put into investments because I'm thinking long-term, not short-term, not immediate gratification. And then if I exercise quite a bit and I look after my diet, then I'll probably have good health and over time I'll be rewarded. Versus the other person who's like, I wanna get pissed this weekend, eat heaps of food, because in the moment I feel good about doing so, but then afterwards I'm gonna feel like shit, but I'm not even thinking about that right now. So the prefrontal cortex helps us to mediate the emotional pendulum swing of that monkey brain or the limbic system, the emotional system, I guess you could say. So one of the best quotes that I've heard is that when emotions are high, intelligence is low. So that is because when you're emotional, that prefrontal cortex part of the brain isn't getting good blood flow. It's not getting good oxygen. It's not getting good sugar levels. And so it creates this instability in that part of the brain and it downregulates itself, I guess you could say. And then so it upregulates the part of the brain that's getting used, which is the emotional center of the brain. And then there's also something called Hebb's law or Hebbian theory. And that is that circuits in the brain that fire together, wire together. So the more you fire and wire those circuits, the stronger those circuits get and the more you want to utilize them. So people who are normally driven by their emotions normally want to continue to stay driven by their emotions because it's what they know, it's what they're comfortable with, and it's also what they're familiar with. So they'll want to keep using that. Whereas someone who is heavily prefrontal cortex or executive center driven, they know that their emotions normally cause chaos and it's not the best way of making decisions. It's not an intelligent way of making decisions and that it always comes with a consequence or a downside. So they will try to think through things more effectively instead of just being impulsive. Now, anytime you have an impulse, it's normally driven from fear also. And this is something that you know most of the mental health industry don't understand that when you are driven with impulsiveness, there is normally a hidden fear or an unconscious fear, worry, concern, or something from the past that is making you feel like shit that's driving you towards a pleasure. Now, when we talk about pleasure and pain, that is most of the psychology industry. And I don't think that pleasure and pain is a great driver in life. Being intelligent and being mission-driven, long-term driven is way, way better if you want to achieve great things. And I assume that most people who are listening to this do. Those people that are more executive center driven will be thinking more long-term and be putting together strategies in order to achieve great things versus the impulsiveness of someone who is in their monkey brain who's trying to get away from a threat or a predator, which could be a fear, it could be a worry, it could be a concern, but the brain still perceives it as being a predator or a threat. And then so because of that, it creates an impulse on the other side and that impulsiveness is a pleasure or something exciting or something fun. But the problem with that is, is that that impulsiveness then swings back into fear. So if you've got, let's say, a fear or a worry or a concern around money, your brain considers that a money threat, a survival threat, almost the same as being out in nature and a lion chasing you. So all of a sudden you've got this financial threat. It's a threat to safety. You're afraid, you're worried, you start stressing about it. And then all of a sudden your brain starts to create impulses because it's trying to balance out the threat or the fear or the pain of having that thought. So then it creates this impulsiveness and that impulsiveness might be the craving of certain food or drugs or alcohol or spending money that you don't have. So you go and buy shit on credit. So then what happens is now you've got this impulsiveness that makes you feel good in the moment. But then what happens is afterwards you start swinging back the other way and you feel like shit and it fires off that feeling again of a threat or being afraid or being worried because now you've just 
put on weight, which for you might be considered a threat. Like I'm fat, I'm gross, I'm unattractive. Therefore, you know, my sexual mate or whatever, which again, this is part of a more primitive response to the brain. Your brain considers that, you know, I'm not going to be able to get a beneficial mate, which is part of the survival response. And then so all of a sudden your brain's now going, shit, I'm back in fear. It's called instinct. When you're more instinctual, instinct comes from fear. And so you're more instinctual when there's something moving around in the grass and you're going, shit, what is that? That's actually the proper terminology of instinct. And impulse is the counterbalance to that, which is the opposite where you perceive things are food or where you perceive things are, I guess, more sexually orientated in nature if we're talking about you know nature itself. So you've got getting away from the fear or the threat. And then on the other side, you've got sex and procreation and you've got food and nourishment. So when we're impulsive, our brain is moving over to that side of, sex and procreation or nourishment. And then when we're in fear and that fear response, that fear response is a survival response, which we call an instinct. So the more instincts we have, the more fear we have, the more worried we are, the more stressed we are, the more we put ourselves under pressure, the more our brain creates impulses that are trying to balance out the pain of the instinct with a pleasure or an impulse. And most people don't even know this. So they swing back and forward on that pendulum consistently and they're driven by their emotions and they can't understand why they can't get ahead or can't achieve great things. And then their prefrontal cortex isn't getting enough blood flow, enough oxygen and sugar in order to regulate their emotions. So they tend to be very impulsive, very emotionally driven and so on. Now let's say that person now goes to most healthcare professionals and they go, you know, I can't concentrate, I can't focus. You know, I feel like shit all the time. And then so they get diagnosed with these labels that don't really mean anything. Like they're a label in order to understand how they're behaving, but that doesn't mean that's who they are. Ever since I was young, I've always been told I have ADD or ADHD by you know school teachers, by my parents. Even sometimes Jess is like, man, you're just unfocused and you're like ADD all the time or ADHD. So I probably am. But the thing is, is that where I am best suited? Like, can I be focused? And the answer is yes. I can be very focused when I do things within my value structure. So when it comes to certain study and certain learning, I can be hyper-focused. But when you read the literature, it says they don't tend to do things that they don't want to do or they don't find enjoyable. So you get all these people who go and get a diagnosis of ADHD, go and get medicated, which is essentially dulling them down or numbing them in most cases. It's not really. It's essentially they're getting a stimulant, which is pretty much methamphetamines in most cases. So they essentially get methamphetamines to provide dopamine to the brain, which then helps them to calm down and relax a little bit more so they can do shit that they don't want to do. To me, that doesn't make any fucking sense. None at all. I sit there and I go, so there's all these people talking about how they have ADHD and what ADHD is. Here's the truth behind what's really going on. You're doing shit that you don't want to do. And because of that, you're more hypersensitive to doing those things. Here's a fucking good idea. How about you go and figure out what you want to do in life and you do more of that shit because you'll probably be really, really good at it. Instead of trying to do shit that you don't want to do in life and then drugging yourself and medicating yourself in order to try and fit into a paradigm that you don't really want to fit into. And I've had this conversation with people before who have either had kids or themselves have had things like Asperger's or on the autism spectrum. And they say, you know, they just don't socialize that well. And I go, who gives a fuck? And they go, yeah, but you know, they have to to fit in. Why do you want to fit in? Why do you want to fit into a society of average mediocre people? Why not go and find out what they're extremely good at and let them do that thing? And if they don't want to talk to people about anything else apart from the thing that they're really good at, who fucking cares? Like that's projecting the values of somebody else onto that person. That person does not care whether they fit in or don't fit in. They just want to do what they enjoy. And then other people who have high values of connection or high values of fitting in, they then go, well, then how can they enjoy life and benefit in life if they don't fit in with other people? That's because they're different and that's fine. 
they are extremely skilled at what they do. You know, if you go and have a look at a lot of higher level people in different fields, a lot of them are on the spectrum. Why? Because they're extremely focused. They're extremely driven. That's all they want to do. They don't want to think about anything else. Is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. But if someone else comes along who has a high value on family or a high value on social connection and they come along, they'll go, well, that person doesn't fit in. How could they enjoy life? How are they going to fit in? How are they going to go and connect with people? Well, who says that they have to? Who says that that's what they enjoy? Or who even thinks that that's really what their goal of life is? Most people just don't think through these things. And so because of that, more and more people are getting out there. They're presenting their labels and what fits their agenda. The majority of the time, the shit that they're posting is so emotionally unbalanced. It's just, it's crazy. Like there's this person that I know who's an old friend of mine. And they've been diagnosed with, I think, ADHD. And so they consistently posting all this crap about what ADHD is and how a person who has, you know, normal mindset or a normal psychology will never understand the struggles that they go through. And I'm sitting there thinking, are you posting this shit in order to justify why you do the things that you do that aren't working for you? Are you trying to get sympathy? Are you trying to get people to go, oh, okay, now I understand why you're a fucking idiot to be around. Like, what is it? Like, what are you trying to get out of doing that? Now, I'm not saying that, this person's being an idiot, but I'm just saying, why are they doing it? Why do they post this stuff? If they're trying to educate people on what ADHD is, the question is why? Why does it matter to them? Is it because they wanna be accepted? Like what's the intent behind it? What's the intention behind it? And so we've really got to start asking these questions as a society around this stuff. When I see people posting about what depression is all the time, 99% of the time, I can just flat out debunk that stuff in two seconds. And I know a lot of the time that person who's posting about being depressed all the time on their social media is probably trying to get social connection, is probably trying to get some sort of justification as to their behaviors or their actions or why they feel the way that they do. Maybe they're trying to get sympathy, but that's my question is, are they getting out there and educating people in an intelligent way? Or are they just using their confirmation biases or the biases that they have around why they do what they do and then want people to accept them for that? And now they've got an excuse for acting like a knob or doing dumb shit or for feeling the way that they do. I don't really know. But my point is, and I'm not saying that that's why everybody does it. I'm just saying that we've got to ask these questions around what the intent is behind why they keep posting this stuff consistently. Now, from the person on my social media that I see consistently post, based on her patterns of behavior, I would assume that she was quite heavily criticized from one of her family members or a parent, where she felt like she had to achieve a lot. She couldn't quite live up to that expectation. And because of that, now she has an excuse because she has all these labels as to why she can't achieve certain things or perform at a certain level. And so that's her justification to whether it's her mum or whether it's her dad or whether it's someone close to her, I'm not sure. But that's how it comes across from someone who has a really good understanding of human behavior. So just be very, very careful of doing that because the more that you do that, the more it may be reinforcing shitty patterns that don't work for you. And here's the thing, right? The truth is that everyone's gonna die. Everyone who's listening to this is gonna die one day. And when you die one day, you have to look and you have to self-reflect on your own life and go, did I do what I was born to do? And did I do what I knew that I was capable of? Did I live up to my own potential? And so we all have to face that at some point. Now, some people die quite quickly and others won't. At some point, you have to reflect on your life. And those questions are going to come up. Now, whether you have ADHD, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, drug addiction, whatever it is, if you do that, the question still is, are you living up to your own expectations? Are you getting the results that you want in life? Are you happy with where you're at? Are you fulfilled in your daily actions? Or are you just spending your time justifying why you're not achieving those things and aren't there yet? And that's always the question that I have because having worked with many people with a lot of these issues and so on, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I don't think the majority of people who think that that's a problem, it is actually a problem. It's normally just a warning sign like the dash on your car that something's not working in some way. 
a lot of the time is it's based on self-comparisons and ideologies around what someone should be instead of what someone is. Now, whether I have you know, ADHD or I don't have ADHD is fucking irrelevant to my goals and my dreams. Absolutely irrelevant. So I could go on, if I got diagnosed with it, it would make no difference to my life, right? Because here's the thing. I normally do what I do because I really enjoy it and I stay hyper-focused on those things, which is like anyone who achieves great things. Now, can I be a little bit more reactive than the average person? Can I just tell people that I'm not going to do shit that I don't want to do? Yeah. Do I need a label for that? No, I just don't want to live somebody else's life. I don't want to do shit that other people want me to do. I want to do the things that I'm born to do. Now, does that mean that maybe I need a label? Maybe. Like, does it help other people understand me better? Maybe. Or does it just mean that in my own life, I don't want to be fucked with? Like, I don't want people to come to me because I've had it all my younger years where people used to say, Michael, you need to act this way. You need to behave this way. I couldn't understand why I had to sit in classes in school where I didn't enjoy the subject. I didn't even understand it. I couldn't understand why I was sitting in maths class learning algebra because I had no reference point logically in my head around why I needed to learn that stuff. So I would sit there and fuck around and play around. And then I got put into special classes and all that stuff. But in biology, I skipped multiple grades in biology. I ended up doing, I think in grade nine, I was doing grade 12 biology. And I used to go to after school biology classes or chemistry classes because I love that stuff. I mean, maybe I was hyper-focused in that area, but there were certain things that I liked and certain things I didn't like. And the things that I didn't like, I was quite open to letting everyone know I didn't like it and I would fuck around. So did that mean that I was ADHD or did that mean that, you know, maybe I should have been diagnosed or medicated? I don't think so. I think that the truth was that I just didn't want to fit into those things because I didn't understand how they were going to help me or be a benefit to me. So I just didn't do them. And now in the business, and even when I used to work as a diesel mechanic or when I used to work in other jobs, there were certain things I was very productive at and certain things that I was just highly unskilled and I couldn't focus on and all that sort of stuff. So I just built a business where I get to do the things that I'm highly skilled and highly competent and highly focused at. But there are lots of other things where I get really easily distracted. And there are a lot of tools that I teach at our Thrive Time event in order to make me more focused and help me more focused so that I can achieve the outcomes that I want. It's not that hard, but it's just that most people don't know the tools or they don't think through these situations properly. So I really wanted to talk about this because I think intent is really the key when it comes to a lot of this shit that people are sharing online. And I just open up my social media every day and someone's talking about what depression is and what anxiety is and what, you know, an eating disorder is and what drug addiction is and that, you know, they make it seem that no one else would understand what they have to go through. When the truth is that they probably do if they just generalize it a little bit more and most people go through those types of things. Now, does that person do it to extremes? Maybe. But does that mean that, you know, they need to blast the whole world with whatever their idea is or their ideal is? Probably not because all it's doing is it's reinforcing a pattern of behavior that's not working for them. And if they really sat down and thought about it and asked themselves, am I getting what I want out of myself and am I getting what I want out of life? They might have a completely different answer than the shit that they're sharing on social media. And I don't think that any of those things are good or bad. Like I don't think anxiety, depression, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addiction, eating disorders or anything like that. I don't think that they're good or bad and I choose not to label them as such. They're just feedback. And throughout our lives, we're essentially getting feedback as to whether we're on track or we're off of track. But what I know is that when people consistently justify and reinforce insecurities, like let's say that that person who's posting all the time about their anxiety or their OCD and they're talking about it all the time online trying to get acceptance from others, the more that people go in and support them and give them this acknowledgement, they're getting exactly what they want. 
So because of that, they go, wow, when I do this stuff, I'm getting loved, I'm getting accepted, I'm getting appreciated, I'm getting exactly what I want, which is nurturing and whatever it is. And so that then reinforces that pattern of behavior and they've got to keep doing it more and more and more. But just like most people in life, and if you go and look at stuff like Pavlov's dogs, where Pavlov rings the bell and he puts the dog's food out and then he rings the bell and puts the dog's food out and he rings the bell and puts the dog's food out and he rings the bell and puts the dog's food out. Eventually he rings the bell and the dogs start salivating because they attach the idea of the bell ringing to food. Now imagine this, imagine I keep posting about my anxiety or my depression or my drug addiction or how hard it is being my label, the label that I give myself or the label that psychiatry or psychology or the medical industry give me. The more I keep posting about that, looking for acceptance and acknowledgement and love and appreciation and all of these things, the more that people keep giving me that stuff, the more I'm linking that to the problem itself. So every time I get on and post about, you know, what anxiety is and how bad anxiety is and how no one will really understand what it's like to suffer with anxiety unless you've got it, or that no one will understand what it's like to have ADD or ADHD unless you've got it and you don't understand the daily struggles of this stuff. And people come in and they go, you poor thing, you know, I understand, like, you know, I wish you all the best. And, and you acknowledge them and you support them and you nurture them. Their brain attaches that nurturing and that love and that acceptance that they don't have inside their own head yet or their self-worth. They attach that to the external worth that people keep giving them. So it reinforces that pattern of behavior. And that was one thing that I learned many, many years ago from running events and seminars. And that is that if you don't want someone to do something, you just stop giving them the thing that they want. So if someone in my events will consistently complain about the fucking story of their past and why you'll never understand, I just don't give them any time, I don't give them attention, and I'll break that pattern. And sometimes you'll even hear me in my events, if someone keeps doing it, I'll just say, listen, I don't give a fuck about your story because studies in psychology show that 50% of all your story is made up, number one. Number two is that the more you talk about your story, the more you reinforce the story. The third thing is, does that story help you to get the thing that you want in the future? Because if not, then we need to focus on the future story, not the past story. The more you keep reinforcing the past story, the more it's going to keep reinforcing your past, which is not what you want. So let's reinforce the future story. Tell me about what you want, not what you're trying to run away from or what you're afraid of or what you're scared of or why you think your past shit is holding you back. Let's change the conversation. And once I explain that, most people are like, fuck, I never thought of that. So my point is, if you keep letting someone complain, they will consistently keep complaining, especially if they want love, acceptance, if they've got a lot of self-comparisons, if they self-depreciate, beat themselves up a lot on the inside, they feel like they can't live up to other people's expectations because they're getting exactly what they want, which is self-acceptance or acceptance from others, which they perceive as self-acceptance. And so it just keeps reinforcing this pattern. So anyway, I just wanted to share Driven Mofos. I know this is a bit of an intense conversation, but this is a lot of the stuff that I talk about at Thrive Time and why the event is so different than anything else on the planet, because I've put so much time and effort and energy into really trying to understand the way that people operate and that we will drop through those three stages depending on the threat level. So you can take someone that's completely logical, completely rational, and then all of a sudden, let's say you put them under a fear response. That fear response, they may get heavily emotional, and if not, they will drop down into a survival response where they just snap and react. And you can see this where someone's at a bar, someone looks at them the wrong way, they perceive it as a threat, all of a sudden they just knock the person out. Now, any logical person sits there and goes, well, that was fucking stupid, why would they do that? Well, the thing is that when you've spent most of your life living like that croc in the crocodile brain or living in the pendulum emotional swing, that's how they live. So they're not thinking logically. To have a logical person sit there and go, well, why did someone do something stupid? 
Well, it's probably because they were driven by their emotions or their impulses, or they just reacted with that crocodile brain. The brain will drop back down to its most primitive state depending on the threat. And so this is something that most people really need to be aware of. Like even the psychology and the mental health space need to be aware of this stuff. We go back to the most primitive ways of thinking, especially under threat. Now, no one really asks what the threat is. So if you've got someone with depression, what's the threat? What is someone trying to get away from? What's their fears and their worries and their concerns? What is it? Now, what's the other thing that they're trying to move towards? What's the idealism? Because normally an idealism is an upside without a downside. Essentially at Thrive Time, I call it a fantasy where someone might perceive that I need to have an easy life and have lots of money and I need to be really successful and everyone has to like me and I can't get any criticism and I can't get any judgment. But they're living this life where they're getting consistent judgment from people around them. They don't feel like they've got the money that they want. They don't feel like they've got the body that they want. They feel like they're not succeeding and achieving. Their parents criticize them all the time. And then they wonder why they're depressed because they can't match that expectation that they have within their psychology. This was heavily spoken about by the famous psychiatrist Sigmund Freud, and he spoke heavily about something called the id, the ego, and the superego. You can go and research it. It's one of my favorite pieces in psychology or psychiatry literature. You've essentially got the id, which is where the word idiot comes from, and the id is our emotional impulses and instincts, which is that pendulum swing. And the other one is the implanted values of others, where we try to live up to other people's expectations, which we can't. So because of that, that then creates these polar extremes where we try to impress and please others, but we can't live up to their expectations. So we feel like shit. Then we beat ourselves down and we become emotional. So we run towards our impulses. But at the same time, we have these fears and these worries and concerns. And all of this stuff creates a lot of brain noise. And that's where the word idiot comes from. The word idiot comes from the word id. And id means small-minded. So when we're small-minded and we think very small-mindedly, then we become more idiotic and we make choices and decisions that aren't based on intelligent and logic. And normally it's because it's heavily involved in the implanted values of others, trying to please others, impress our parents, live up to other people's expectations. We compare ourselves to others. When you pedestal somebody else, you put yourself down. When you look up to others, you put yourself down. When you look down upon others, you're trying to pedestal yourself. All of these common things most people never even think about. And then they wonder why they've got this mental and emotional chaos going on and they don't know how to deal with it. And that's the majority of our society. Now, as I mentioned, if you haven't grabbed your tickets yet to Thrive Time, I guarantee it will change your fucking life because it is just an event where I go into this stuff and you just go, shit, I never knew that that's how my brain or my psyche works and that this stuff makes so much sense and I can see where I'm creating these polarities and these comparisons and all that stuff and where I have times where I feel good and then I feel shit and then other times where I feel depressed or I'm down or I'm beating myself up or I feel like I'm not good enough because of self-comparisons. You'll be able to analyze all of that stuff and start to work through stuff yourself, which then frees you to run in your own lane in life where you just wake up in the morning and you do what you do best, which is live your purpose, your values, your mission, and you do the things that you want to do in life. But it has to come with mental and emotional stability. If you're mentally and emotionally unstable and you've got these high highs and these troughs and you feel down and then you feel up and you want to get excited and you want to go out and get pissed on the weekend and spend all your money and then you feel burnt out and tired and then you beat yourself up. Those are volatile states. And the more that you do that, the more you're going to keep doing it unless you've got a strategy out of it. So just be very, very careful with that stuff. Be careful of labels. And if you do do that, ask yourself, what am I really trying to get out of this? What's the intention behind it? And if you are one of those people who want to support others, just be careful because if you support someone for bad patterns of behavior or habits that don't work for them, then you're essentially reinforcing those patterns of behavior. So sometimes the best thing that you can do is give them a little bit of support, but not too much. And it's a very fine line to get right. And I'm assuming all parents who are listening to this go through that with their kids, because if you don't tell them off 
and create boundaries and hold them accountable to those boundaries. They keep crossing the boundaries and eventually they will do that in society and they can end up in jail or they can end up getting severely hurt or severely injured because they're never used to being held accountable to boundaries. I've seen that happen with multiple cases that I've had to work with where people have ended up in jail because of it, because I've had an over-supportive parent that doesn't create boundaries and hold them accountable, number one. Number two though, is that if you've got kids and you create too much accountability, then they will tend to go a bit crazy as well because eventually when they turn 18, they're just gonna break all the rules and go do whatever they want because you had too much pressure on them when they were younger. And so they wanna release that pressure when they get a bit older. So there's a very fine line that all parents know of, that if you punish the kids too much, you crush their soul or you crush their spirit. But if you don't punish them enough, they take the piss and they'll keep doing stuff over and over and over again to keep testing you until you snap. So parents are always trying to figure out that fine line. Any business owner is trying to find that fine line with staff. You know, how do you create an accountability where you want them to be a free thinker, but at the same time, you don't want them to go too crazy and just destroy everything or create major problems. So, you know, it's a very fine line that we've got to keep walking in our lives. I'll leave that up to you to try and assess and figure it out and to figure out how you can deal with people around you or maybe even yourself with where that boundary is and where that line is of how much support do you give someone versus when do you sort of pull back on that support to not keep over supporting them. At the moment, especially in the mental health space, we have an over supportive society. And you could easily see that in a lot of the socialism structures that are happening in the moment where they call words violence. You know, like if you don't say the right gender for someone, then you're essentially committing a violent act. You know, if someone calls me a woman, they're essentially doing the same thing as beating the shit out of me, which is not true. They're quite heavily involved right now in a lot of universities, in a lot of social sciences, in the corporate industry. And this stuff is a fucking joke, but it's happening quite a lot at the moment. And so we've got this over-supportive society. And then people were afraid because suicide, you know, there's all this stuff about suicide and depression. And people are afraid. They're afraid that if they pull back love or they don't give someone the right support or the attention, they kill themselves that they're gonna feel guilty on that. And so it creates this huge conflict for most people where they feel like they don't wanna over support someone, but at the same time, if they don't support them and something bad happens, they don't wanna feel guilty. It's very hard. I understand that there's a lot of psychologists and psychotherapists and therapists out there and coaches that are really, really afraid because they know that if they do the wrong thing, they can have their license practice taken away. You know, APRA can come down hard on them. Essentially, someone could die from it. How do you help someone when you keep reinforcing patterns of behavior that keep them trapped and stuck? That's the hard thing. And it's something that I've struggled with for many, many years as well, because I have to deal with some of these cases every now and again. I will normally tell people to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist because it's just, you know, at least it keeps it away from my events. And I want to make sure that they get the best treatment possible. But at the same time, a lot of them will say to me, I've been getting therapy for fucking 20 years and nothing's changed. And so then I have to work with them carefully in order to untangle a lot of the patterns, a lot of the ideas and a lot of the theories that they've been given over the years that are keeping them trapped and stuck and they just don't even know it yet. It normally comes from people over supporting them or supporting them in ways that keep reinforcing the patterns of behavior that are keeping them stuck. Anyway, Driven Mofos, I hope this helps. If you haven't already done so, please jump across to our No BS Business Hacks Facebook group. If you are a business owner, I've just chucked in a whole bunch of strategic plans and stuff for the new year. If you're a business owner and you haven't jumped across yet, please do so. Just shoot me a message and I'll send you one and you can download them free. I also have a couple of live and exclusive interviews that I have released to the community from our Business Growth Odyssey event. One of them is Toby Pierce, where he sold his business for $400 million. I did an exclusive interview with him as well, which we haven't released to the public, but I'm releasing to people in that group. And so if you're a business owner, you can shoot me a message or DM me, and I will send you that interview and also the strategy or the strategic plan as well, so that you can get it right for the year moving forward. 
Anyway, Driven Mofos, have a great day. Keep kicking ass and remember to share this podcast with more people. Just post it on your Instagram, post it on your Facebook, tag me in it as well. Let as many people know about this podcast as possible. Anyway, take care, Driven Mofos. Keep kicking ass. And thanks for being part of this absolutely awesome community of driven people that want to get more out of life. Take care, everybody. 